Father God, thank you for this new day that you have made, this new week which you have um, blessed us with. Lord, we look to you, our one true King of kings and Lord of lords, almighty God, everlasting Father. And Lord, we praise your name and worship you as um, the King of creation. And Lord, as we continue to look at your attributes or start to look at your attributes, Lord, we pray that you would continue to transform us by the power of your spirit um, according to your word and Lord that you would sanctify us through this as we as we glimpse how you, get a glimpse of how you've revealed yourself to us and be with us by your spirit now and we pray this in Jesus name amen morning Patrick and Cheryl all right so we on uh, our fifth session now in looking at the doctrine of God, and we turning now. Last week, if you remember, we looked at the names of God. This week, we are starting to look at God's attributes, and specifically, um, His incommunicable attributes. It's a big word. Anybody want to take a guess at what that could possibly mean? Okay. <laughs> Sure, okay, so it's the attributes of God which are completely unique to him. Those attributes which he doesn't communicate to us. He hasn't shared with us. So these, God's incommunicable attributes point to the otherness of God. The fact that he is, the other word we looked at in the previous weeks, he's transcendent. Okay, he's high and lifted up. He's different to us. He's not of the same substance to us. Um, he is no way reliant on us, um, or, nor is he shaped in any way uh, by us. He's utterly different. And so we're going to see over the course of the next couple of weeks as we look at God's incommunicable attributes that, that uh, the, the implication of this is that it's good news for us, okay, and the reason why God's otherness is good news for us is that it means that God is not subject to our fallenness. He's not subject to our faults, our frailties. He's entirely other. He is holy. He is glorious and majestic and righteous and and full of justice. And to get a, a wonderful glimpse of the otherness of God. I want to read from uh, prophet Isaiah chapter 6. We got your Bibles here. And it's this vision of the Lord um, that Isaiah has that incredibly shows God's otherness. So Isaiah 6 from verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. 
And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin and your sin atoned for. So what's interesting to note here is that Isaiah was transformed when he was confronted with the glory of God. He realized before the glory of God, he realized his sinfulness and he repented before the Lord. And it's exactly the same with us today. Okay, the more that we encounter the Lord, we in His Word, in our worship to Him every Lord's Day, in receiving um, the, the, the sacraments and the means of grace, the more He transforms us by the power of His Spirit. And so catching these glimpses of His majesty and His holiness, it, what it does, it, it confronts us with our own sinfulness. And we realize our, our deep need for God. And that's a big reason why a part of our worship service, we have um, a confession of sins. is Because that's the natural, uh, that's naturally what happens when sinful people come into the presence of God, which we do every Sunday in the worship service. We get confronted with his holiness and uh, through, expressed through his law, his, his, his word to us. And what can we do but repent and say, Lord, I'm a man, we are people of unclean lips. So, therefore, when we learn more about God's nature as he has revealed to us in his word, this is not merely just an, an intellectual exercise, yeah, but it, it's, it's transformative because we are being confronted with glimpses of God's true nature. Any questions so far? Okay, great, because this is so important because the temptation as sinful people is that we, <coughs> bless you, we, we are prone to fashion God in our own image. And we naturally prefer to worship a God with whom we are comfortable. And if you look at the Bible, well, this is like the story of Israel over and over again. Their whole problem is they, they continue to get into these cycles of idolatry. And the most, you know, the clearest example of this is in Exodus 32. They've received the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, Moses is up on the mountain and they decide to melt all their jewelry and form a golden calf of the image of the Lord. Of They wanted to worship Yahweh. Okay? It wasn't just, they weren't, in their minds, weren't making a pagan god to worship. They wanted to make an image of Yahweh, the one who brought them out of, 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 of Egypt. And it's precisely for, for this reason 
is, there, is why the Lord strictly prohibits the depiction of his image in any form. Because it leads to us creating a God in our own image instead of worshipping God for who he is. Okay, God had not, had not uh, told, instructed Israel to worship him like that. Instead, they, they did. And yeah, how did that end? It didn't end well. They, they led to them worshipping a false god, an idol. So we've got to worship God for who he is and how he's revealed himself to us in Scripture, not according to our good ideas. And it's precisely by examining God's incommunicable attributes as one of the ways in which we can guard ourselves against this temptation of idolatry and false worship. So instead of transforming God into our own image through idolatry, that's our sinful tendency to want to do that. Instead, we can be like Isaiah, who was transformed by God, increasingly according to his image by worshiping him for, for who he is. So any questions before we dive into the first attribute of God? Okay, well, let's look at uh, the independence of God. It's the only attribute we'll look at today. So what do, we, what, is, what do we mean by the independence of God or his aseity, as it's often called as well? Okay, well, aseity means from himselfness. So what do we mean by this is that scripture reveals that the grounds of God's existence is himself. It seems obvious to, to say, but it's important that we, we are clear on this, that he is self-originated. He is nothing or no one else caused God to be. Okay, God didn't have an origin. There was, there's, there's never been a... A moment where God has not existed. He's the one who was, who is, who is to come. He's eternal. So therefore, he's independent. He's independent in his being and everything else. His, his virtues, his decrees, his, his works. He's independent of all external dependence. In other words, he doesn't need anything. He's not dependent on anything to function or to be or to act. He just is. So Romans eleven thirty three to, to 34 uh, hints towards or points towards God's independence in this way. And it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of God or who has been his counselor? And we see that God's self-existence or his independence is actually rooted in his very identity, in his name. Remember last week when we looked at the names of God, what is the personal name of God? You want to remember? Yeah, I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I was who, who I was. And 
God revealed his personal name the first time in redemptive history to Moses in Exodus 3.14 at the, at the burning bush. And so the very fact that God has revealed himself as, as I am, this is pointing very much so to his independence. It shows that he's going to remain eternally the same in relation to all his people. Okay, this is now related to another attribute. A lot of these attributes are interconnected. So he doesn't change. He doesn't change. He doesn't evolve. He doesn't change according to time or how things progress in history. He, he becomes wiser and so relates to his people differently. No, okay, he's outside influences don't shape his nature. Okay, he doesn't need anyone. And this is often. Um, something you see in, in, in a lot of, in, in some worship songs these days in the broad evangelical world um, that they make out as if God needs our love. No, <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> because this whole thing of make, writing worship songs almost like spiritual love songs, well, that is a problem because we on our God is not analogous to how we love someone else, another human who needs our love. As humans, we desire and crave love from others. Not so with God. Yes, he desires to be worshipped, certainly, but he does not need it. Yeah, he's not, he didn't create us out of some need in himself. Yeah, he's not insecure that so he needs to be in relationship with with us so therefore he created humans so he could have someone to to love him no he's complete within himself his father son and holy spirit have always shared perfect communion perfect love amongst the three persons of the trinity one god for all eternity they the expression of perfect love is found within the Trinity. It's not made complete with, with um, our love or us ex- humans existing. Okay, he's, he chose to, so why did then God choose to create us if he's so independent and perfect, he doesn't need anything? Well, you want to take a shot, why? <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> heresy <laughs> to glorify himself which yeah. he shares love with us yeah simply because he could for his own pleasure for his own glory he's God he can do it you see we would expect that a needy God would be involved in the world out of his own need for relationship. And that's what you typically see in the pagan gods and goddesses of the Greek or Roman world. They, they crave the, the love and worship of, of, the, of, of man. And you've got to do all sorts of, that's why they've got to, to do all sorts of, you know, you know various... Uh, uh, things for them, and you know it is all, you know, pretty messed up. But not so with with God. Okay, He's 
self-existing. He's perfect. He's independent. And he creates us and enters into relationship with us freely, out of no need within himself. And so what we have here, this is the nature of pure divine love. Okay, God's relationship with us is unlike the relationships that we have with each other. Okay, we are dependent on our relationships. Okay, our, our friends and our family, they have an effect on our personality. They shape us. Okay, they shape the decisions that we make. They influence our emotions. But this is not so with God. Yeah, the psalmist writes in Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Yeah, he's dependent on no one, and he's influenced by no one, yet he voluntarily descends into relationship with us through Jesus. And the... Um, 20th century Swiss theologian Karl Barth, he stated that God's freedom or his independence from his creation is actually the ground of freedom for the creation. Okay, and this, to understand this point, it's expressed in Acts 17. Okay, Paul preaching Athens at the Areopagus, and, and he, he says... The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is served by human hands as though he needed anything. Okay, there, and he's not, he's independent. God doesn't need anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything in him. We live and move and have our being. So you see there, our freedom actually is preserved within the sovereignty of God. The fact that he is independent. Hey, Kevin, welcome. <laughs> the fact that God is independent, that he is sovereign, that he's going to do what he's going to do. We find our freedom within that. He, he is he, he, our freedom is, 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 finds its, its, its existence within his sovereignty. It sounds like contradictory, but it's not. It true, we, we are not robots, okay? We have true freedom. But our freedom is ultimately finds its, its existence within the sovereignty of God. So actually, we are not truly free, yet our freedom is true. <laughs> That's just how Scripture reveals this to us. Okay, God is sovereign, and we have real agency. Yes? Are you going to read 3.1? You can go for it, yeah. So on that, um, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely mm. and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin nor is um, violence offered to the will of the creatures yeah. 
nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Yeah, that's exactly describing this. Yeah, so you can see the connection there between the fact that God, of God's independence, that he's sovereign, and yet that actually establishes our freedom within his sovereignty. That's, brothers and sisters, read the Westminster Confession of Faith over and over again. It's just the best theology. It really is. It sums it up. So It sums the Bible up so succinctly and clearly. Acts 17, 24 to 28. Yeah, in him we live and move and have our being. So we also understand that God's independence, it separates biblical faith from pantheism. Yeah, this is the big dividing line. And what's pantheism? We looked at this in the first session. Hey, God is God is everything. God is in everything. Panentheism. Yeah, God is is a one substance with the creation. The God is in the trees and the rivers and in the mountains and in us and in the animals. Okay? But God's free decision as an independent being to descend into human history also separates biblical faith from deism, okay, where God is seen to be completely, utterly removed from creation. So you see the difference. God's independence, the fact that God is independent means we disagree with pantheism. Okay, He's not in the creation. He's God. He's independent from his creation. Yet, God's independence also distinguishes us, biblical Christianity, from deism. Like that God is so removed from his creation that he's not involved. Okay? God, in his independence, he voluntarily condescends to us through Jesus. That Christ makes all the difference. Yeah. So our... A uh, professor from Westminster Seminary, California, our absent-minded professor, um, Horton, sums this up very nicely. And he says, the God of Scripture is essentially independent, yet freely chooses to bring creatures into fellowship and communion with himself, even though he already knows that his friends will become enemies. Even before he creates the world, he, uh, the world that he does not need, the Father, Son, and the Spirit have covenanted in love for the salvation of sinners by the sacrifice of the incarnate Son. God's decision to do that which is necessary for our salvation, but not for his perfect self-existence, is the most obvious revelation of the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. It's a quote from Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. So now pastorally, the pastoral implications of all this is that God's independence now gives us great confidence in God that we can trust in his purposes and his ways. Okay, if God is dependent on other things, Okay, he's dependent on things outside of himself. Well, if he's dependent on us, even, well, then there's no certainty to who he is. 
He's able to change and go with the, you know, go with the wind. But that's not who our God is. He is indeed the rock of our salvation and the God in whom we can trust. As Psalm 18 verse 2 reveals him to you. Any questions before we close up? Absolutely. I mean, it, it shows independence is, is the, one of the reasons why uh, God is sovereign in our salvation. We go and contribute a thing to our salvation. We only respond in repentance and faith. But he accomplished it. How's it, Paul? Okay, any other, any other comments, questions? One comment yeah. at the end of that chapter of yeah. Milton's Unsaity is like, yeah, I think I quoted it before, but uh, he says that if God were not independent, then we could pray for him, but we could never pray to him. Yeah. And so, like, our great confidence that God can actually answer our prayers is that he has no contingencies, so he can do what he wants and what is good for his people. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, I really hope as we go through more of these. Um, attributes of God over the coming weeks that you'll see that they have the standing God's attributes has practical implications for us in terms of how we come before the Lord every day in prayer how we trust him what we how our prayers are formulated to him and ultimately it helps us in getting to know him and we can only grow as a Christian through that yes Patrick Yeah, well, Patrick, I think you're pointing to a truth here about God is that there's always mystery involved here. Okay, there's no way that as a part of his creation, we can perfectly comprehend our creator. We can only understand him insofar he has revealed himself to us in his word. And that's why he's always going to be mystery. And that's why this whole thing of God's sovereignty and our freedom the scriptures, does, they don't resolve that. <laughs> they lay it out there. Acts 2.23, you know, God in his foreknowledge basically predestined Christ to go to the cross. Yet, it was by the hands of lawless men that he was crucified. <laughs> it's just... Uh. <laughs> the people... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, so just chew on that. (laughs) And it's this shouldn't ultimately this this whole thing of mystery and coming to God. This this shouldn't get our knickers in a knot. 
frankly, okay? It should point us to wonder and worship. So, Lord, you're actually incomprehensible in certain things, and that's wonderful. You're, if, if we could understand everything about God, well, he wouldn't be God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. And indeed, you are the one who is high and lifted up and beyond all comprehension and um, far above um, all our understanding and knowledge. But Lord, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and that you have spoken baby talk to us, essentially. And Lord, we, we thank you that because of your revelation to us in your word through Christ, Lord, we can worship you and get to know you and love you. And Lord, we thank you that you have, um, in love, you predestined us for salvation in Christ. And so, Lord, we, we uh, are thankful for having been adopted as your sons, having been chosen before the creation of the world, having our sins forgiven and having the assurance of eternal life in Christ. So be with us now, prepare our hearts as we move towards uh, the worship service. I ask that you would be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.